Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. This particular podcast was created from a live recording of a previous webinar to protect the confidentiality of the attendees. We've gone in and redubbed some of the questions and cut out some of the conversations. So if it doesn't flow quite as smoothly as you'd like, that's the reason why it may sound a little odd at times. Uh, title of the webinar today is uh, How to Love a Bottleneck. Um, what we're going to do is do a quick review of the uh, article in December from the Slippery Rock Gazette, and then we're going to review some questions that have come in from that article. Uh, quick note on my background, I've got a little over 30 years experience in manufacturing and business. I've owned my own brick and mortar business, so I understand managing cash flow so you can make payroll, and I also understand how lonely it can be as a business owner. Uh, I've consulted with a number of fab shops over the last 20 years, uh, consulted with with frankly, a few hundred shops, a few hundred different types of manufacturing businesses in my career. I run a counter shop shop for a couple of years. And frankly, I believe every shop owner, fab shop owner deserves to have a business that makes you money and also allows you the time to enjoy it. The, um, the article in the Slippery Rock Gazette came out in December. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, uh, hopefully you already have. Uh, but if you haven't read it, go to slipperyrockgazette.net and then select archives off the menu, go to December, and you can pull that up, plus anything else you want to read off of, off of their publication. Uh, I think I just read this morning, they are the, or yesterday, they are the most widely read uh, publication in the countertop business, which I think is pretty cool. Those guys do a great job. Um, this article is part of a, a six-article series, and the purpose of the series is to show you how to free up 20 to 30% of the capacity that you're already paying for. You're paying for, as an owner, paying for 100% of the capacity in your business. And these concepts we're going to talk about in these articles are to help you free up 20 to 30% of that capacity, which means you're getting that much more product through your plant every day. In the process of doing this, you'll also sustain a consistent five to six day template to install lead time. Nice, good, short, reliable lead time for your client, for your customers. And, uh, more, and just as importantly, if you use the metrics that we'll talk about in a, in a later article, uh, you'll be able to predict your P&L before the month is over. So you'll know before the month is over how much money, what you're on track to make or lose as far as profit or loss for that month. That way you don't have to wait till you know, the, the second week and the following month to get your, your P&L statement or, or summary from your accountant or your, or your uh, finance folks, and then look back and see how well you did or didn't do. This gives you some really good, simple metrics to help you uh, manage your business better. So that's, that's part of what this whole system of articles is designed to help you do as a business owner or as a business manager. So that's, that's our purpose here. Uh, basic concepts from the article, since uh, I hope you've already read it, we're going we're gonna to just do a quick high review of those concepts. Um, the, the key, one of the key ones is that managers tend to chase bottlenecks. That's what we all do, uh, and that's what I've always done running plants is 
you know, Bob's out sick, so I got to put Joe on the CNC. And I know Joe's not that good on the CNC, so I got to help him all day. And I think, okay, that's my that's my challenge for the day. And then it's not long before I get a call from an installer, and we've got a got an issue because something wasn't made right or wasn't templated right, or something's changed on site. Then, uh, then a little while after that, uh, top in the shop gets a crack at the sink, cut out, and we got to go take care of that. And we end up with just really struggling trying to, to, to keep things running in the shop. And that's just chasing bottlenecks. It's, it's like playing whack-a-mole all day long. Whatever, whatever issue pops up, we got to knock it back down. And what happens is, is that bottlenecks are moving around constantly because these issues start popping up. And it's really tough to predict when a job's going to go out. It's tough to predict how well the plant's going to perform. And it's tough to predict quite frankly, what kind of money are you going to make today? Uh, and so that's, that's a big part of, of what bottlenecks do to us. And of course, chasing these bottlenecks creates a lot of chaos in a fab plant, does that in any manufacturing plant. But that chaos just really drives things crazy because you can't predict what's going to happen next. You get customers are upset and that stress just builds and builds. And I think that's why a lot of folks just are really struggling in the business these days and quite frankly, the, the countertop fabrication business doesn't have to be that way. There is an easier, better way to run your, run your shop. And this, uh, this webinar, this article is just the first of several steps to take to get you there. Um, so, you know, you've got bottlenecks. And what we want to do is go in and select the ultimate bottleneck. Think of it as nailing down that bottleneck so it never moves. We're going to call that the constraint. This is a strategic decision that you make. This is not uh, an observation. It's not a, a mathematical analysis. It really ends up being a core element of how you're going to run your business. Uh, and it's uh, what it does. One of the things it does for you is it gives you a really good focus because everybody in the business starts to understand their impact on the constraint. Um, what people do to impact the constraint is really job one. And once folks get used to this, you end up with a very good common focus, get you away from chasing bottlenecks. Now, there's some guidelines in the article that help you manage the constraint and to manage each operation that impacts the constraint. Uh, in, in future articles, in fact, the January article, which has already come out in Slippery Rock Gazette, talks about how to use inventory to protect the output of the constraint. The February article next week, uh, I think comes out next week, talks about how to drive the bottleneck to the constraint. So there's several things that have to go together to make this work, but making that strategic decision about your constraint is really a big key part of, of how to start this process off of getting very strong predictability and control of your countertop shop. All right, well, I've got some questions that have come to me uh, after the article was published. And I thought it would be worthwhile to, to have the webinar so we can kind of talk through some of these questions. First question that's popped up for me is, um, that I get a lot of, quite frankly, in having this kind of conversation, is what's the difference between a bottleneck and a constraint? Um, one of the big differences is the bottleneck is temporary, and we, what we want to do is get the constraint to be in a permanent location. It doesn't move around. Bottleneck is a temporary reduction in capacity. Uh, that machine that's down, that top that's broken, that person that's out, and I got to fill in with somebody who's not quite as good, reduces the capacity of an operation. 
and and because they're temporary and because those conditions constantly change that bottleneck runs around the plant uh, one of the challenges with the bottleneck is the capacity of the bottleneck is uh, is not defined we don't know what that capacity is uh, and so if you don't know what the capacity of the bottleneck is the capacity being the thing that limit really to make money then you know you don't know what that is so it's tougher to uh, to, to manage and, and predict what's going on. So the, one of the differences between a bottleneck and a constraint is that bottleneck capacity is not defined, but with the constraint, we end up defining that capacity. So we can define and predict performance and we can define what your ability is, your capacity is to make money. And that's, that's really important from an ownership standpoint. And when you do that well, then you can predict operational performance, and that's really key from satisfying customers. Um, bottlenecks are, are random. They just pop up wherever the constraint is a strategic decision, something you decide this is what you're going to do. Okay? So that's kind of the big differences between a bottleneck and a constraint. And again, as we go through these, next question that, um, that has come up, one that I frequently run into, is why should the constraint never move. Uh, you know, we've talked about bottlenecks and how they move around all over the place. We want to set the constraint and make that strategic decision and, and then and not have it move. Uh, one of the advantages of it not moving is it creates focus by everyone. One of the challenges, one of the reasons it's so stressful to, um, to run a, a fab plant these days is that the bottlenecks constantly move around. And if you've got a constraint that doesn't move, it's easier to focus. It's easier to know what I need to work on relative to impact on the constraint. Uh, gives us really good focus. Everybody has the same priorities. Uh, that's really key, and it makes things a lot easier to run. It settles the chaos down in the plant because of that focus. Um, and again, the capacity does, uh, the constraint does determine your capacity of the business to make money. And you know what that is, it's defined. Whereas right now with bottlenecks that roam around your plant at will, you just don't have good definition of that capacity. So those, that's, those are all real good reasons for why it should not move, okay? Next question that, that uh, pops up is, um, how do I select my constraint? Uh, this is, a, is an intentional strategic selection and there's some guidelines around it. Um, in, in the fab shop business, it's fairly simple. Uh, but in other businesses, you want to consider things like, you know, do you have some kind of secret sauce that's your competitive edge? In this business, that's, that's kind of tough to do. You may have the latest, you know, 15 axis uh, Swiss Army knife machine that'll cut and shake tops at a blink of an eye, but that's today's technology. And next year, something new will come out and your competitors can all buy it. So it's tough to to settle on a specific machine or a specific technology because all that's pretty much available. Uh, and if you set your business up based on that as your constraint, that, that competitive edge is, is kind of kind of lost in some respects. So the, you know, you can pick a piece of equipment if you want to, but it's not always a good decision in this business. Sometimes folks will select a constraint based on specific skills that a person has got, um, or maybe they're really good at some aspect of the business uh, but people, you know, they, they take vacations, they come, they go, they get sick, they get, re they retire, they change jobs. Uh, that, that's a tough one to do too. 
um, in the in the countertop fabrication business, it seems to work best to pick a constraint that's closest to the customer. A couple of reasons for that. One is is that when you look at a, having a common focus, everybody's got that same set of priorities. Um, then you've got everybody focused on the priorities that impact the customer the most. And when you focus on installation or you focus on that finished polish operation, uh, that puts everybody focused on the things that are required to get this job finished, get it right, and get it to the customer on time. And that's, that's a big advantage. And how well you do that can become a really strong competitive advantage for your business. So uh, in this business, typically, when a, when, a, when a business owner doesn't really know where they want to set their constraint, I'll generally try to point them toward finish polish or install. And there are pluses and minuses for both of those. You know, finish polish is inside the plant, installation is outside the plant. How you manage those is, is important. Depends on whether you've got contractors for your, inst for your installers or whether they're employees. There are other factors that go into that as well. Um, but, uh, and you know, if a business owner just really has that new Swiss Army knife, um, you know, robo saw CNC jet type machine, and they really want to put it there, we can do that. It's got some pluses and minuses doing that. Uh, it's a little bit different type of implementation, but it can be done. So the bottom line is you can set it wherever you want to, but it's going to be the real key impact in terms of how you run your business. It's going to become your focal point. And in a perfect world, if you get it really close to your customer, it drives a lot of the right behaviors. So as you're thinking about where you might want to set your constraint for your business, whether you're an owner or a manager, then um, that those are things to kind of keep in mind as you look at that. Next question that pops up a lot is um, in the article, I use the phrase leveraging the business around the constraint. Uh, it's something that, that sounds kind of strange to some folks. The kind of the mental image I've got in my mind is uh, if you're familiar with uh, Archimedes from, you know, back in, in Greek days, Archimedes was the guy who, who talked about, you know, a lever and a fulcrum. And he said, if you give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum to place it against, I can move the world. It's that, that ratio of, of leverage there around, uh, around a, a point. If you think of the constraint as that fulcrum, that leverage point, that's kind of what you're doing is, is leveraging the business around the constraint. Kind of like another comparison is those of you, any of you old gearheads uh, understand how a Venturi and a carburetor works. That skinny part of the carburetor that that controls how well the engine runs, uh, how much fuel you feed into it, how much air you feed into it determines the performance of the engine uh, to a large extent. Uh, and the constraint in your business works like that because how well you operate that constraint, how you've got it defined, how you treat it, how you feed it, that determines the amount of money that you can make in a given day. And so that's kind of part of that leveraging the business around the constraint. Everything else in the, in the operation becomes secondary. It doesn't mean it's not important. It just means it's not as important. They are subject to however they impact either what goes into the constraint or if the constraint is not installed, whatever comes out of the constraint. Because you don't want to feed the constraint anything that's not perfect quality. And certainly once the constraint processes something, you don't want to damage it or mess it up because now you've wasted time on the constraint. And one of the things that's really important is, is that to think about, and this is part of that focus is that if you lose time on the constraint, you've lost time for the entire business. 
So if you think about how much profit your business can make in a day, and if it's limited by the constraint, then you can figure out what an hour of time there is worth. And when you lose that hour of time because you broke a top or you cut it wrong and sent it to the constraint wrong or what have you, you can start to quantify that impact. And what's nice about that, everybody knows it's negative. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is, is that when you can quantify that accurately, now you can start looking at, okay, here's what it's, gonna, what it's worth you, to you to fix that problem, whether it's upgrading an old machine, whether it's repairing, rebuilding an old machine, whether it's retraining somebody, whether it's replacing somebody, whether it's changing some aspect of your process. We talk further in, in subsequent articles about some of the key metrics that we use, and it's really just two or three, and I'll give you a hint, square foot's not one of them, um, kind of a different perspective for the business. But when you get to where you can start to quantify those impacts, it really is very powerful in driving you to make the right decisions that'll help you free up that capacity in your business that you're already paying for, and also help you make the right decisions that'll help you make a lot more profit, satisfy your customers better. So that's a, that's a big key to, to leveraging your business around the constraint. Kind of a long answer to a short question, but it's a lot of really good, powerful things that come out of this. Some folks will ask, if I set a constraint in my plant, am I reducing the capacity of the plant? And the answer, short answer is no. If you think about bottlenecks, those bottlenecks are temporary reductions in capacity. Bottlenecks are already reducing the capacity of your plant. Um, so what happens is when you set a con when you establish that constraint, you, you make that strategic decision. When you start diving into things that impact the operation of the constraint and start impacting how much product you can get through the constraint, then you'll start doing things that'll stop those bottlenecks from wandering around. You'll stop doing things that are creating bottlenecks in the first place. And what you end up doing is by getting this focus and taking some of these actions that you'll see in, in subsequent articles, you'll actually start to increase the capacity of the plant. One of the challenges gets to be, how do you make sure that that constraint is always the ultimate bottleneck? There's not another bottleneck somewhere else. And the January article talks about how you can use inventory to help protect the constraint. And that's one, of the, one part of the solution to doing that. So the short answer is when you set a constraint, when you select that and establish it, you're not reducing the capacity of your plant. And if you do the rest of the things we're gonna talk about in these articles, you're actually going to increase the capacity of your plant. And I'm talking about increasing the square footage you can get through your plant in a given day without buying a bunch of equipment and without hiring a bunch of people. If you're gonna increase capacity 30%, doesn't pay you a whole lot if you gotta hire 30% more people about 30% more machines. We're talking about increasing that capacity without having to do all that. So that's that's kind of the, the, the key we're focusing on here. So another one I've got is, how do I know that I'm utilizing my constraint well? Um, there's a article that I published before I started this six part series, it came out in November in Sleepy Rock Gazette talks about value-added versus non-value-added. We're not gonna get into those details now because we'll hit it in a, in a subsequent article. Uh, that one kind of got out of order, but that was my fault. But uh, how you look at the, basically the downtime and the uptime on the constraint. If you select your constraint as uh, finished polish, uh, how often do you hear those motors running? You know, are they running all the time or not? So downtime and uptime is key. Uh, a really big key 
when we get into, I think it's going to be the April article where we talk about some of the key metrics we're going to use. And there really are just two real key metrics that we look at. Those metrics combined with the value-added, non-value-added from the November article, those are the two things that can help you measure how well you're using your constraint. Uh, those are really big, big uh, key indicators that will help you out. And the value-added, non-value-added is a very, very strong tool. Uh, if you haven't read that, go back and hit Slippery Rock Gazette and go back in November and hit that article. Um, there's a link there to go to the website, which is uh, fabricatorscoach.com, and you can download some tools that help you with that as well. So those are, those are some things that are really keys to, um, to utilizing your constraint well. All right. Well, nobody's popped up on chat or uh, unmuted to ask any questions. Got oh, i got a chat popped up. Yeah. Ah, okay. Thank you. Uh, can you give me an example of what you think is of a constraint that you think is good? Well, to me, by definition, a constraint is good. What we're doing is we're selecting that leverage point for the business. Uh, and so it's a constraint. It's not a bad thing. Bottlenecks to me are bad because they're undefined and they move around and they're random. They create chaos and create stress. So having a constraint is a good thing. And it's a matter of just where you, you know, the fact that you select one and then intentionally decide to run your business according to that is really the good part. Okay. Did I answer your question well, or did I miss some aspect that you had in mind? I'm understanding bottlenecks are unplanned. They pop up. So obviously those are headaches. They happen all the time and they create bottlenecks. The constraint I understand you're explaining is define, you know, defining the capacity of an operation. It's a strategic decision, but can you just give me an example of like what a company might use as a constraint that you feel like is a good example of like a positive way to explain? Yeah, it? great question. Thanks for asking. Um, certainly. Um, so to get a little more detail on this, the constraint is typically going to be a, a process step either in your production plant or it's going to be template or it's going to be install. Um, typically, I'd say most of the companies I've worked with, they've either selected finish polish as the constraint because it's in the plant, but a lot of companies will select installation as the constraint. Okay, and, and there again, there are pluses and minuses either way, but it means that we've, we've defined that as our constraint and we want to drive the bottleneck to the constraint. And the, the value-added, non-value-added article in November, which I'm going to do another version of it again in, in a couple of months, because um, it will go along with the six-part series, um, it helps you drive that bottleneck to the constraint. The constraint will be the, the process step in your business that has the least amount of capacity. Uh, think of it in terms of square footage. We're going to use a financial metric in a couple of months as we get to that article in the series. Uh, but for now, think of it as square footage per day or kitchens per day. Um, and so when we want to make sure everybody else, all other uh, operations, all other process steps have more capacity. Uh, and not to mean that we're going to reduce the capacity of the business, but when we do the steps that we've got in this six-part series, you'll actually end up with more capacity. It'll still be a constraint, but it's like having the skinny part of a pipe. If you've got a say a piece of three inch PVC pipe and you put a reducer on it, reduce it down to two inches PVC pipe and you join all that together, the capacity of that whole pipe system is whatever you can get through the two inch, right? So what this does is you're, you're not going to take 
what is currently a three inch pipe and neck it down to a two inch as far as your business is concerned. But we are going to say, okay, here's where we want that to be. What we're really going to do is take the rest of the company and make it a four inch pipe and keep install, finish, polish, whatever you select as your three inch pipe, if that makes any sense. And overall, we're going to take the whole thing and make it bigger because we're going to, we're going to be able to run it a lot better. Does that help yes. clarify that for you? Yes. Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay, good. Good question. Appreciate you asking it. After you just said that. So like, for instance, just trying to apply this, you know, in my head, um, I would say, you know, if I had to just think of something like installation would probably be something that's a quick, you know, a, a strategic pick just because you're limited um, so many hours in the day and limited in people and, you know, getting them out and about and how travel and everything. We're in the Boston region, so lots of traffic. Um, so is, so basically what I'm hearing is you want to facilitate all the other process parts to funnel as much as possible and really only limit that so that you can focus on being more efficient in those areas. But am I applying that concept correctly? You're close. Okay. Okay. Um, let me get a little deeper into some of this and we're going to kind of get into some of the other article topics and, and I'm happy to do that, but without you having read them, it may be a little tougher, but I'll, yeah. I'll still get into them and, and try to answer you as best I can without getting too deep. Um, let's say, for example, you've got, uh, you typically have three install crews that do two kitchens a day. Average kitchen is, and I'm, I'm from Clemson, so I'm going to use round numbers. It's easy math in my Clemson head, okay? 100 square feet per kitchen. So three install crews, two kitchens a day, that's six kitchens a day, 100 square feet each, that's 600 square feet a day, okay? And right now your plant can put out roughly 600 square feet a day. So if we're gonna to decide to make installation our constraint, we're not gonna reduce installation to two crews or reduce it from six kitchens a day to five kitchens a day. We're gonna keep it at six. We're gonna start doing things in the other processes to make sure they can do more than 600 square feet a day. And then we're going to start looking at installation and saying, all right, how can we get those three crews to do more than 600 square feet a day without killing anybody? Uh, and that's where the value-added, non-value-added gets to be important. That's where the, the, uh, the financial metrics we're going to use in a, in a future article get to be important. We start looking at how we do what we do. What is it our customers really value? Where are we spending time that we don't need to be spending time? And, I, and I'll give you one hint. When you get into the value-added, non-value-added article, uh, we talk about, um, you know, sawing is a value-added process step because it's where we do a physical transformation of the materials. But everything that happens at the saw is not value-added. The only value-added portion of the saw's day or water jet or whatever you've got is when the blade is in the stone. Everything else is non-value-added. You have to load, you have to unload. Uh, how do you reduce the time for that? Because if you can reduce through making some changes, if you can reduce a half hour a day of, of load and unload time or cleanup time, then that 30 minutes a day divided by, let's see, eight, six times eight, 60 minutes times, that's 480 minutes. That's 6% right there, okay, that you've increased. 
And so by looking at value-added, non-value-added, and the other operations, you increase that capacity. And then once we know we can feed more than 600 square feet a day to installers, and we start looking at how do we schedule them, how do we route them, uh, how much time does an install crew spend walking back and forth to the truck? How can we find ways to minimize that? And we get to where we can begin to install more square footage, but I don't want to go tackle that today because my plant can't supply any more than 600 square feet a day. And again, I'm using round numbers, but the idea is that you start getting good definition around these and taking definitive actions that allow you, you number one, you know what your capacity is. You're focused on one operation as to install at this point, and you're making sure that you know how you run everything else relative to install, and you are in an organized manner increasing that capacity. And when you start to do that, your lead time from template to install gets to be shorter. Uh, and and it, there's a lot of dynamics that impact that, that make that happen. But when you get that lead time short, now you can do template on Monday, install Friday, or template Monday and install the following Monday, or whatever it is makes sense to you. Um, and so you can start to really drive your business and improve it quite a bit. Does that help answer what you're looking for? Yes, it does. And I'm referring to the article from, you're, you're talking about the article from November, right? Could you use an additional 10% production capacity right now? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I see it there. Okay. That's really helpful. Thank you. Okay. And that article talks about 10% increase in capacity. And that's just if you apply only the value added, non-value added. Uh, if you apply that with the other stuff in the six part series, you'll get the 20, 30% pretty easily. And I've, I've seen higher, but I don't want to set a super high expectation for you because the, the truth of this is how much you get out of that depends entirely on how well you execute. You know, somebody can come in and coach you. You can read books, read articles, go to seminars, whatever. But the, the value of this is how well you and your team can execute on these. So that's, that's why I kind of caveated it 20 to 30% when actually it can be a lot higher. Okay, well, hopefully you can see by this that there's there's different uh, there there's several tools I have to pull together to make this work. Uh, if you go out and, and select a an, uh, constraint today and start trying to run your plant that way, it's going to be a little tough if you don't have all the tools pulled together. So I don't want to encourage you to jump into it right now, but I would encourage you to think about it. And again, if you've got questions, you know, drop me an email. I'm happy to talk with you. Uh, if we get to the point that, that money is involved, I'll tell you that ahead of time. Um, what, I, what I've tried to do with these articles and one reason I'm offering the webinars is I'm trying to give you enough information that you can do this yourself. Uh, and if you can do a fair amount of this yourself, you can see some benefit. And to me, that's a good thing because I, I really do believe that uh, owners deserve to have fabrication businesses that make them money and also give them time to enjoy it. And that's really key. So thanks, folks. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and look forward to talking with you sometime in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.